All righty, good evening, everybody. Well, this is my first Wednesday night back from Israel, and I didn't realize some of you Wednesday night folks uh, weren't, su- weren't here Sunday. Uh, how many of you were not here Sunday? Uh, where were you? Just kidding. <laughs> I love doing that. Um, well, I showed a lot of pictures, and we talked a lot about Israel. You know what? Uh, soon we'll probably have the opportunity to take a Wednesday night, focus on the Israel trip with some pictures and uh, explanations and uh, kind of testimonies. So we look forward to that. Uh, in the meanwhile, you can turn with me back to Second Samuel. That is where we find ourselves in our Through the Bible study in the book of 2 Samuel, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, 2 Samuel starting, picking up in the middle of a story at 17, chapter 17, you put your finger there. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the wonderful privilege of studying your word. Your word is living, it speaks to us, it heals us, it blesses us in so many rich ways. And so we pray, Father, that tonight that you would speak to our hearts, that we might have life and see Christ and your wonderful intentions toward us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, King David is having a terrible time of it with his third born son uh, here in the winding down chapters of Second Samuel. I believe it was Shakespeare who wrote a line for King Lear how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Uh, Well, at this point in King David's life, I think he'd be uh, quite happy to settle for just a thankless child. Uh, He's got way more than that on his hands, if you'll recall. Here in the um, closing chapters of the book of 2 Samuel and uh, chapters Well, starting at 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, all of those chapters are dealing with this terrible military coup uh, that is trying to oust David and worse than that, kill him. And it's led by none other than Absalom, his third born son, who was heir to the throne. Now this stinging viper strike Uh, is provided by this son, Absalom. He's not only thankless, but he's ruthless. You'll recall that he's just been nurturing resentment. It's all about him. You know, he's got a few things working against him. Uh, He's born into royalty on both sides. His mother was a princess uh, that uh, David married in a treaty with the king of Geshur, which is modern-day Syria. And so David married, uh, thinking of a treaty, married royalty, and then Absalom is the product of their union. And um, he's just stuck on himself. The Bible says that he was praised for his physical beauty. Uh, He was filled with pride. I mean, this guy down to his beautiful head of hair. You'll remember he cut it only once a year, and then he was so proud of it, he weighed it. You know, and it, and it weighed like a few pounds, you know, that, that was just so rude <laughs> coming from me, you know. I mean, here this guy isn't just happy to have hair. Yeah, some of you didn't get why I said he was so rude. Yeah, okay, now you get it. In all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. Bible. There wasn't a more handsome man in the whole nation than this guy. It goes on to say, from the top of his head to the sole of his foot, 
There was no blemish in him. So this is working against him because he kind of knew it. He was the Jewish Fabio, you know? Uh, he, you know in Greek mythology, uh, there's, there was the hunter god called Narcissus. And uh, the story goes that he was known for his handsome features, but he, he, he also knew about it too. So he was conceited. And um, his enemy, I don't know, picture, uh, Renaissance picture of that we can leave up there for a while. Uh, that was painted in the late 1500s by a man named Caravaggio. And uh, so Narcissus' enemy called Nemesis knew that he was conceited and lured him to a crystal pool, a reflecting pool of water. And the guy saw his reflection in the pool of water and fell in love with himself. And he could not pull himself away. And so that's where he died, looking and gazing into his wonderful blue eyes, whatever color they were. So he couldn't pull himself away, and which of course is the destiny of all who are self-absorbed. It is our Lord Jesus who warned us, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And so, did you turn the lights back on because I can't see my notes? <laughs> Thank you. And so, isn't it weird that some of life's um, blessings can turn out not to be assets, liabilities, uh, money and uh, success or attractiveness or um, born into privilege. These things can actually be snares. Uh, you'll recall that even Lucifer was corrupted. The devil became the devil. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 17. We're gonna leave him up there because I think the Holy Spirit wants to kind of work this character into the sermon because it really represents a lot about this man, Absalom. So here we are in chapter 17. We're gonna take a look at 18 if we can get that far. Let's watch poor Prince Absalom find himself he finds himself at the expense of his relationship with God only to lose his life in a tragic and most humiliating way. So let us recap because it's been a while, all right? So I've got a little um, recap list for you. So there are two conspirators here to get rid of David. It's his son Absalom and it's also Ahithophel. And I wish he had an easier name to pronounce because he's all through these chapters. Ahithophel was David's top advisor and very dear friend who nurses a grudge for nine long years. He happens to be, as you'll recall, Bathsheba's grandfather. And so when that went down nine years prior, uh, Ahithophel was still his best friend and top advisor on the outside. But on the inside, he was brewing with unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and was looking for an opportunity to do David wrong. And when Absalom came uh, to age, Absalom and Ahithophel 
were really a match made in hell, if you don't mind that expression. Both were playing kissy face with David for years and years and years, but just waiting for the opportunity to do a man. And so Absalom's been busy, so we'll recap. For four long years, Absalom's been rising early and going to the gate and, and meeting with disgruntled Israelites and flattering them and schmoozing them up and uh, saying things like, oh, too bad my father doesn't care about you and your problems. Oh, if only I were king, if I were a judge in the land, oh, you'd have it made in the shade kind of thing. And so he's so discordant, he made everybody unhappy with King David and presented himself as the answer. And so the Bible says he stole the hearts of all Israel. And when he senses that the tide has turned, when he's got enough of Israeli uh, forces on his side, he makes his move. He goes to Hebron, you'll recall, 25 miles south of Jerusalem, and I can see it now in my mind's eye, having just been there. Uh, but he throws this a, a, a party, he anoints himself as king, and now all of Israel's kind of with him, the army, and uh, he, he tricks 200 key uh, leaders from David's administration to come with him to Hebron, and now they're trapped. So now he's, he's crowned himself king. He's coming back to oust David with, without David. David doesn't have those 200 guys. David is vulnerable and he can't mount a defense. And so uh, David gets word that uh, this crazy son of his has crowned himself and is coming with an army. And so David wants no bloodshed. So David flees with about 600 loyal supporters, but that number's gonna grow through the chapters as, as uh, some loyal Israelites join that army. And so David gets word and flees. Uh, he goes up the side of Mount of Olives into the wilderness. And then Absalom rolls into town to an empty palace and Ahithophel's first words of advice is make this thing successful and take your father's wives and do it publicly on the roof. He violated them, and that was to say it's over. There's no turning back. There's no reconciling with King David. What's done is done. He's our new king. And so uh, that really was born out of the bitterness of Ahithophel, grandpa's heart, to have David humiliated on the same roof that he sinned against Bathsheba. Do you see how he's thinking? We're going to talk more about his life as we go on. So now we pick up at chapter 17. You kind of know what's going on. David's running, okay? Absalom's in the palace. He's on the throne. He's got the palace, the throne, and the wives. Now he's sitting there, and he doesn't know what to do next, how to get rid of his father, because his father is the rival to the throne. Now, one more thing before we dive in. There are three men who are working undercover in the palace with Absalom uh, for David's sake. And you'll remember there are two priests, Zadok and Abiathar. They're on David's side, but they're playing like they're on Absalom's side. And there's also one other guy, Hushai, who is going to be a, an, a top advisor. And Hushai's job is, is to frustrate Ahithophel's advice to King Absalom. Now that I totally confused you, let's dive in. <laughs> Reading from the ESV. So David's running. The king is saying, okay, we got the roof thing taken care of. Now, 
I need two advisors to tell me how to kill my father, all right? So he's going to go to Ahithophel first, and then Hushai, David's undercover guy, all right? Here's the setup. Now he's asking Ahithophel first, how should we proceed to kill my father? Pleasant thought. <laughs> Verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel, bad guy, says to Absalom, bad guy, let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he's weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders. All right, so let's pause there. Uh, Vengeance is mine, says Ahithophel. Well, that's not good, because God says that about himself. Romans chapter 12 and verse 14. Now, Bathsheba's grandfather's first advice was to hurt and humiliate David, you know, the whole roof thing, as we just mentioned. Now, he says, hunt him down for the kill, which Absalom is only too happy to accommodate. He's looking forward to this. Now, our hearts go out to Ahithophel when he first was offended. We can all understand that. But he's become now the perpetrator of evil. You know, when you're victimized and you mishandle your emotions, you go from the one being wronged to being in the wrong, and now you're as guilty or worse than the original perpetrator. You know, when people hurt us or offend us, I always like to think to myself and and exhort others, do not stoop to their levels. Do you want to become like them? You'll be exactly like them or worse. So Christian, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is supposed to guard their hearts and their minds to take thoughts captive. We're just not free to, you know, to, for two wrongs to make a right. It just doesn't work that way. And so it's um, phase two, Operation Kill Dad. All right, so first up, Ahithophel. He is going to give his killer advice, literally, all right? Uh, it would have it, it, it been a great, it would have worked if they would have done it. Uh, the Bible calls it good advice. This was a smart thing to do. And what does he say? It's a classic military thing. Quick selective strike, all right? Uh, verses one through four just says, overwhelm him with force. He's got 600 guys. Tonight, I will take 12,000 guys and just finish him off and we'll just focus on him. Uh, Not a lot of bloodshed. The the element of surprise will throw this weary and unsuspecting uh, army into a panic and we have a narrowly focused objective. We just kill your father and everybody else will be relieved and they'll come as a bride to her bridegroom. And so Absalom's eyes get big, the elders' egos inflate, and they like what they hear. You know why? Because it's smart and it would work. But God has another plan. Uh, five through 14. So then Absalom says, so he's got the one guy who says, come on, let me do it. I can do it, 12,000 guys. And now he's calling in David's best friend who's a spy, all right? So he calls in, call Hushai, the archite also. And let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai 
came to Absalom, Absalom says to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, You know, this time the counsel of Ahithophel, what he said is not good. Hushai said, Now you know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged, like a bear robbed of her cubs in a field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He's not going to spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear, for all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel, here's what I say, is that all Israel be gathered to you, from Dan to Beersheba, that's like saying from California to New York, north to south, as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he's to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men with him not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley, not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, Hmm, the counsel of Hushai is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Now, unfortunately for Absalom, that act of violating his father's wives is a, is a, a death sentence. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 11. And so now the Lord is going to bring justice to Absalom. And um, this is how it's going to work here. And so it, it, it's funny that here's this guy. He gets to the throne. He knows what he wants. He's really clever to get there. But once he gets there, he has no substance or calling or business being king. So he doesn't know what to do. So, so one guy says, hey, let's do it this way. And he goes, oh, let me see. What do you think? And, and that's the problem. Troublemaking, egocentric people, uh, once they get what they want, they know how to get what they want. But then when they get there, they don't know what to do because they're not legitimate. There's no substance. There's no calling. And so you just see this guy doesn't know what to do. So do you remember, this is an answer to prayer. So if you're taking notes, number two is a, a big time answer to prayer. Uh, do you remember when David heard that his ex-best friend was there counseling his son against him, Ahithophel? He said, oh, Lord, frustrate the wisdom and advice of Ahithophel. And the Lord is doing that. It's an amazing thing that, first of all, he want, after such good, well-received advice, that he wants a second opinion. And then he trusts Hushai. You know, he doesn't even raise one eyebrow. You know, all Hushai had to say was, Absalom said, hey, why aren't you with your father? Why aren't you with your best friend, rather? And, and, and uh, he says, Hushai says, hey, you're the king. I'm not with him. I serve the guy who's on the throne. And that was it. He bought it. 
And so now, now he's trusting. I just can't believe that's an answer to prayer. You know, people scheme and the devil has plans, but God's will prevails. And so with your prayers and your simple faith, God is intervening. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, our prayers are powerful and effective. And so um, Absalom uh, wants a second opinion, and Hushai goes to work for his friend to stir up doubt and to sow a little uh, insecurity. And really, number one, he wants to buy time for his friend David. Oh, so, and the killer advice here is that he says, oh, don't let Ahithophel do everything. Let all Israel be gathered to you. Oh, that was the line that did it for him. It's like, oh, I never thought about that. I could be the hero. And then all of Israel, you know, that's, that, just, that just did it. So he said, he says, first of all, I think you're all misjudging your father and underestimating King David. Weary and discouraged? Come on, this guy's a war machine. He's pumped up with fury like a she-bear robbed of her cubs. You know, do you forget this guy's a war machine? He's an expert fighter. He's no dummy. He's not spending the night where you can find him tonight. He's in some pit or cave. You know how your dad is, right? You're going to find him at night like that's going to happen, right? And so worst case scenario, uh, Hushai says, David might actually strike first and, and a little panic might happen and you'll lose everything. You want that to happen? He's like, oh, no. Yeah, we can't have that. So his head gets puffed up even bigger, and he's like, okay, we're going to go with plan B. All right, here we go, 15 through 23. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abi, uh, Abiathar, so these are the two spies as well, all right? They're on David's side, the priests. Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel. And thus and so have I counseled. In other words, go tell David, that was their job to inform David to leak out the information. Go tell David, this is what Ahithophel advised and this is what I advised. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, do not stay tonight at the fords. The fords are the, the shallow areas and rivers uh, of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now, Jonathan and Ahimaaz, these are the two priest's sons who are also in on the deal, helping. And they're going to run the information. They're waiting down at the bottom of the hill at Enrogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. Bum, bum, bum. But a young man saw them and told Absalom, oh, there's always someone like that. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Baharim, who had a well in his courtyard. And they went down into it, and the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known about it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they cried, where, they said rather, where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And why can't they all be named Jonathan? <laughs> Serious. And, or Peter or something easy, like James or Dave or... And the woman said to them, they've gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. All right, I think she pulled a Rahab there. Very similar story. 
After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. That's a 25-mile trek there. Those boys were good runners. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the Jordan River, is what that is. For thus and so, here's what Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose, and all the people were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. So now they're in, uh, they're out of Israel territory. They've crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, He saddled his donkey, went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Not big baby. Now, David's spy system worked. If you're taking notes, that would be number three. So David and his men, 25 miles east of Jerusalem by the Jordan, as I've said, Uh, The priest's sons are the runners waiting at the bottom of the hill at the Kidron Valley. The servant girl in in verse 17 is to relay the message to the the father's boys who are going to be couriers. Uh, Verse 18, but some punk saw it going down and tattled to King Absalom, right? King in quotes. You know, the devil has his people everywhere, doesn't he? So... He sends guards to investigate, and Absalom's bloodhounds trace the scent to this one house, uh, a house of David's supporters, because God has his people in places as well. And so God, uh, rather, the two men are given help from David, David's sympathizers. They hide in a well in the courtyard, and after the danger is passed, Absalom's goons return empty-handed, and the boys run the marathon to, to King David, who crosses the Jordan safely. Now, it looks like Absalom doesn't think much of it. He's like, well, okay, we sent guards out. You know, how mistaken he was. So let's talk about Ahithophel's suicide. You know, he's a type of Judas. And in fact, in John chapter 13, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me. And this is to fulfill, he's saying this at the Last Supper. This is to fulfill Psalm 41, verse 9, where it is written, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Now, Jesus is talking about Judas, but Psalm 41, 9 is talking about Ahithophel. Ahithophel is the prototype of Judas, and he's in the psalm to represent Judas, who will appear many centuries later. So what, what's up with Ahithophel? It's the very first time in the history of his life where people didn't take his advice. They, they took Hushai's advice. So he got his feelers hurt, okay? How dare they? Things aren't going my way. People don't know how important I am, and they don't realize who they're messing with. All right. And like you'll ever get another chance to snub me, snub this. And then he goes out and he hangs himself. Suicide, the ultimate cowardice, uh, the ultimate self-centeredness, but not the ultimate sin. Uh, You can be forgiven anything, anything except dying in your sins. The only sin that's not forgivable is dying in your sins. Jesus' blood covers all of our sins. It is a sin. It's self-murder. Thou shalt not murder. And uh, 
So this guy is just going to take his life. Uh, and why? He also realizes, Ahithophel does, that Hushai's advice is bad and that David will prevail and that he, in turn, will be exiled or executed for treason. So he's going to beat them all to the punch. I'm going to take care of this before. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon had to say about that verse. He says, I desire to call your attention to the text on account of its very remarkable character. He put his house in order and then hanged himself. Now, to put his house in order showed that he was a wise person. To hang himself proved that he was a fool. Herein is a strange mixture of discretion and desperation, of intelligence and insanity. Shall a man have wisdom enough to arrange his worldly affairs with care, and yet shall be so hapless as to take his own life afterwards? Just a little bit more. He says, thousands set their houses in order, but destroy their own souls. They look well to their flocks and to their herds and to their bank accounts, but not to their heart's best interests. They gather broken shells with continuous industry and labor, but they throw away priceless diamonds. They exercise forethought, wisdom, care, everywhere but where it is most required, their eternal soul. They save money, but they squander away their life. They are guardians of their estates, but suicides of their own souls. Really smart people who really have it together in so many ways, better than we do, physically speaking, secularly speaking, business speaking. They're so good at those things, and then they'd rather die and perish than bow the knee and humble themselves before God. And, and that's all it is. It's just simply pride. This guy knows he's wrong. He knows he's been harboring this thing. He knows the hand of the Lord is upon him and he will not humble his heart. And so, I mean, it's sad. Uh, let's finish up here. Then David came to, uh, now David's running because he's been informed. You better watch out. This guy's coming maybe tonight. So he comes to a place called Mahanaim. And Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Hmm. Now, Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa was Joab's cousin. I'm going to save you all of that work there. All right? And Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. So David's got Joab. This is the gist of it. Joab is uh, David's general, and Absalom's got Joab's cousin, for his general, and both are nephews of David. All right, verse 27. When David came to Mahanaim, uh, these three families, I'm also saving you uh, from going through that right now. Uh, three families brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep, and cheese uh, from the herd. For David and the people with him to eat for they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness let's pause there now friends in need are friends indeed three obscure names now nobody knows anything about them except they supported uh, David in his plight and that's what happens when you support God's people you become somebody uh, do you remember when somebody some insignificant woman anoints uh, Jesus head 
perfume and just pours it out upon him. And the disciples are kind of indignant and says, man, you know, they could have sold that and given it to the poor. And Jesus said, you know, don't, don't give her a hard time. You always have the poor, but you don't have me around forever. And what she did will be spoken of all throughout the world because of her love for me. And we heard about her now 2,000 years later. We're talking about this insignificant lady from some village uh, because of her act of kindness to support the Lord. And the Lord takes these kinds of things personally. Uh, can you imagine David's spirits? Uh, you know, he's in a place, he's in a tough place. They're weary, they're tired. And some families come with, hey, you need some bedding. You need some pots to hold the things. And, and how about some food and some honey and, and, and some sheep and all of this beautiful things. What a, what a blessing. Just because you're not on the front lines doesn't mean you don't have an important place to serve, to encourage people. Uh, what a blessing. Jesus takes it personally. Remember at the sheep and goat judgment, he'll say at the end of the tribulation to the saved, he'll say, I just want to thank you all on my right for all the encouragement you gave to me. When I was hungry, you helped me out with food. When I needed comfort and encouragement, you came to me. And, the, and they're gonna answer, the, Lord, we didn't ever do that to you. We didn't see you anywhere. And he's gonna say, I took it really personally when you did that for my people. It was like you were doing it for me. And that, that's what's going on here. And that's the exhortation we should all take from that. You know, I, I read off of a blog, a pastoral blog, a wife, who posted something about going through hard times and being encouraged in her ministry family. She says, there was a time in our ministry where we wanted to give up. Uh, the days were packed, particularly demanding, with people's problems and problem people. My husband was running all over the place, counseling marriages and families, set settling disputes, preparing sermons, working with the budgets and committees, I don't work with committees. While I was helping, well, not too many of them anyway, while I was helping with the choir and the women and dealing with a never-ending list of things to do, we were just weary and wanted to give up. There was, a, uh, there was little time at home for us as a couple and or the twins. God began to encourage us, though, through our prayers People in the fellowship, one woman would come occasionally and take my children for the afternoon so that I could occasionally rest. There were notes of encouragement and compliments instead of uh, criticism. Little blessings of gestures of care. People seeing need and coming alongside my husband in small ways. And it was through these little gestures of encouragement that we decided to keep on going important and I just wonder tonight who is in the wilderness and weary and thirsty who's sitting here you know we all we're in church and everybody has their church face on you know what there are people who are stressed out in this place there are people who are just feeling like they're hanging on just barely they just got some news that rocked their world they're dealing with problems a lot of christians live quiet lives of desperation and nobody knows a thing about it but they're here and just a compliment a hug a gesture a helping hand somebody else looking not only to the needs of them their own lives but wondering who in this place could could be the recipient of my kind of care what a, what a beautiful opportunity. And if you're thinking here, sitting here, yeah, 
that's me and I hope somebody finally finds me. That's the wrong attitude. You have to be sitting here tonight saying, who can I find in that position? And let me be one of those three families that come in to a weary soul and say, hey, let me come alongside. You'll be the, all the difference in the world of somebody giving up or, or staying connected. Okay, so let's move on. We gotta finish up because I'm just gonna read chapter 18 and make a few comments because we gotta see how Absalom dies. Now, it, it's been a while. Absalom has a huge army now because he's doing it Hushai's way. He's in hot pursuit and it's time for Absalom to reap what he sowed. So I'm just gonna read through it with you, all right? Chapter 18, then David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. So it's grown now. A lot of people are coming on board. And David sent out the army, one third under the command of Joab, one third under the command of Abishai, his brother, and one third under the command of Ittai the Gittite. <laughs> That's so awesome. Ladies, if you're expecting, there you go. Ittai the Gittite. And the king said to the men, I myself will also go out with you. But the men said, are you crazy? You shall not go out, for if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better, King David, that you send us help from the city. So you stay back at the fortified city. The king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood at the side of the gate while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. Now they're going after his kid. They're going after his own son. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. Wow. So the army went out into the field against Israel. Now Israel's fighting David, all right? They're all with Absalom. And the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David. And the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. 20,000 guys, and you know it's basically over two bitter hearts. Cost 20,000 lives. Two bitter hearts. The battle spread over the face of all the country and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. In other words, there were ravines and crevices and all kinds of dangers in that wood. And a lot of men died just from being exposed like that. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Here we go. Absalom was riding on his mule and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak and his head caught fast in the oak and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him kept on going. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, Joab's the commander-in-chief, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree, Joab said to the man who told him. What? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. Oh, wow, a belt too. <laughs> Twelve. <laughs> but the man said to Joab, even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, hello, the king commanded you and Amashai and Ittai the Gittite. <laughs> For my sake, protect 
The young man Absalom, on the other hand, now he's saying, I love this, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there's nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. In other words, if I would have done it against my own conscience and the wisdom, you know, you wouldn't have stood with me. King David would want to kill me. And then you would have been like, I told him not to. (laughs) Joab said, hey, I'm not wasting my time with you anymore. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive, hanging there in the oak tree. And 10 young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and finished the job. Then Joab blew the trumpet and the troops came back from pursuing Israel for Joab restrained them. And they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones and all Israel fled, everyone to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name and it is called Absalom's monument to this day. He sets up a monument to himself. Surprise. All right, let's keep reading. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, a priest, the good priest, let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. And Joab said, Uh, You're not to carry the news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news because the king's son is dead. Amen. You don't have good news to tell him. Don't go. Then Joab said to the Cushite, he's a non-Jew, an Ethiopian. Now, you know, it's safer to use a non-Jew if you're going to get your head cut off by telling bad news. (laughs) Apparently, that's what he's doing here. Go tell the king what you've seen. So the Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, says again to Joab, Come on, let me go run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you have no reward for this news? Come what may, he says, Whatever, let me run. So he says to him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates. He doesn't know what's up yet. And the watchmen went up to the roof of the gate by the wall. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw men running alone. The watchman calls out and tells the king. And the king said, if he's alone, there is news in his mouth. And he drew nearer and nearer. The watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gate and said, see another man running alone. The king said, he also brings good news or news. Uh, The watchman said, I think that the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, he's a good man. He's going to come with good news. Then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, all is well. He bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord, the king. And the king says, I've only got one question. What's up with Absalom. Ahimaaz melts. When Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I don't know what really went down. Verse 30. And the king says, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushite comes and the Cushite says, 
Good news for my Lord the King, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. And the king says to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my Lord the King and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. In other words, he's a goner. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. All right, let's make a few observations and we'll be done. Number four would be a son's tragic death and a father's tragic mourning. All right, so verses one through four, it was really simple. It's battle time. David divides the guys up into three units, and they wisely advise David uh, not to go. They tell him, look, you're the king. If they get you, they get all of us too. So you stay behind and help us. And, And like you should be fighting against your own son. So that's that. So David tells the whole army, deal gently with my son. Are you kidding me? That's, that's a father's heart. You see, he killed his brother. He killed his brother. He led a rebellion that ousted his father. He violated his father's wives. And now he's trying to kill his dad. And his dad says, on the way out to face this murderous boy, be gentle with him for my sake. Kind of like Jesus Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's that kind of love. It's a crazy, doesn't make any kind of sense love. How can you love people who are nailing you to a cross and spitting in your face? And it's just, it's God's kind of love. Uh, Absalom's uh, pride takes him down. Let's talk about getting his head caught in a tree. You know what? First of all, what are you doing on a mule? You know, it just doesn't look very kingly, but I suppose that was the the thing of the day. And he loved that hair, didn't he? He loved that hair. And you know what? The thing that we love inordinately at the expense of God is the thing that always gets us entangled and in trouble. And there he is. Some scholars say it's the hair that got tangled up in the thickets and in the branches. And and rather than getting his scalp torn off, he's hanging, holding on because his hair's all involved. Either way, it's, it's a bad place to be hanging from a tree with your head stuck in it. Amen? <laughs> so a soldier comes to Joab and said, dude, you'll never guess what I just saw. I mean, take three guesses. You're just not going to guess. You know, uh, what did you see? I saw Abdullah hanging with, from his head in a tree, swinging and talking and what? You didn't kill him? You know what? I would have had to give you 10 pieces of silver and a belt. <laughs> and you'll notice that when he says, you know what? If you would have given me 1,000 pieces of silver, you don't hear him say, and a belt. You know why? Because he doesn't want the belt. <laughs> Just like all of us. We're like, what are you talking about? A little belt with a little buckle on it. <laughs> Whatever, okay. So he says, yeah, right, you heard David. You would, yeah. I would have got my head cut off and you would have been like going like this to me. I know how you are. So Joab, Joab says, you're wasting my time. I'll get it done. He kills him with three spears and then 10 guys finish him off. And you know, the thing about rebels against God, they always have such high hopes and they all end up kind of the, in the same way, cast down. It's the sin we love most that is often the sin that does us in. 
I was just watching Animal Planet again and saw the fatal uh, love of pets that are dangerous. And this woman, her name's Anita, well, it was Anita Finch. And she had this pet viper, this Gabon viper. And she used to say, this viper loves me and I love it. And when she cleaned its cage, she let it out because she just felt that was the nice thing to do. And it would roam around the house. It's like, you know, 15 minutes and you're dead. That's, that's the viper. And uh, yeah, it happened that way. It bit her and she died. And then I went online and I Googled around. This happens a lot <laughs> with tigers and bears and monkeys and lizards and spiders. The list goes on and on and on. Our darling little creepy little twisted little love child that we love and it turns around, bites us and kills us. Hello, amen? Yeah, do, are we all on the same page? Yeah. Zero tolerance for sin. The drug addict. Oh, I, just, I just love you. I love you. I love you. And it kills him. Gives him a disease. Kills him. Oh, I love you. I love you. I just, it's your, my, I love you. And you drive off a bridge. But first you run over family. Then you drive over the bridge. And you usually survive and you kill all the other people. The money-hungry thief. Oh, I love money. End up in jail. A sexually immoral person can get sick, destroy their marriage, and die from a disease that's incurable. It's a pet sin. So sin isn't bad because it's wrong. It's wrong because it's bad. And lastly, David mourns for his son. Love this, and I'm closing now. Spurgeon about this verse. Our children may plunge us into the worst of sins, but they are our children still. They may scoff at our God. They may tear our hearts to pieces with their wickedness. We cannot take complacency in them, but at the same time, we cannot unchild them, nor erase their image from our hearts. So he's going to weep for a couple days. And in the next chapter, you're going to see, Joab comes to him and says, if you don't stop right now, I'm telling you by morning time, you're not going to have one loyal soldier in Israel. You love people who hate you. You hate people who love you. What is wrong with you? You better dry your eyes and come out here because he got a little imbalance there. But, you know, he has a heart like God's, you know. Jesus is pretty merciful to us. Our Father doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. God doesn't condone our wrongdoing. and He doesn't sympathize in your sin, but his heart grieves when we suffer, even when we suffer by our own hands or bad choices. So verse 33, David said, I would have I died for you. I wish it were me, David says, and not you, Absalom. And Jesus did die for us instead. And Jesus is biologically related to David on his mother's side, conceived of the Holy Spirit, but a son of David. And we see Jesus exemplify that kind of love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a, a, an intense story and uh, an account of lives that we can learn so much from. Help us, Lord, to see the truth about the, the horror of sin and bitterness and resentment to keep our hearts sweet and filled with light. In Jesus' name, amen.